We really are happy you've joined us to worship today and just really enjoyed the worship music there and uh, hope that was encouraging to you as well. We gather here really to encourage each other in our faith and in January here we're focusing on family and encouraging each other in the context of our families, whatever those may be. And for me it's been really fun to prepare this message that I have today, simply looking back on my own life and family and how I've walked in it and how the Lord has encouraged me in it, and I hope it's an encouragement to you. When I was younger, I didn't realize how much the power of family had an effect on us. But being in ministry over the last 20 years and then, uh, you know, midway through raising my own family, it really is staggering how, how family affects our lives and affects our hearts and how Deeply, we feel things that happen in the context of family, whatever the makeup of our family, and how powerful it really is in our lives. People have many different challenges they face, but I can tell you above and beyond what most people come to talk to us about at the church when they're hurting or when they're challenged. It's usually some dynamic related to their family. Sometimes it's the workplace, sometimes it's friends, but most of the time, when people are feeling something deeply and confused, it has to do with family. And, and that's uh, true in my own life. I remember if probably 10, 12 years ago when I was into my children, about four or six years old, right in that range. I have two children. And I was just a young husband, young father. And six years into having kids or so, and I was having this feeling like, wow, this just isn't going to end. I mean, I love my family, and there, it's been a real joy, but when you kind of get married early like I did, and you jump into it, and then all of a sudden sort of things just settle in on you after a while, like, this is going to be the rest of my life now. I'm raising these kids. And, and honestly, I was feeling a little overwhelmed as a, the responsibilities of it as a husband, as a father. And I only have two kids. I mean, I, my brother now has six kids, and that just, I just, you know, commend him for what he's doing there. There's bigger families. But in the context of just my immediate family, at this period of my life, I was feeling overwhelmed by what I'd gotten into. And thankfully, I have a spring fishing trip set aside with some guys, and the break was just coming at a good time for me. And I had to prepare a couple messages on this fishing trip. And so I remember getting there on a Wednesday evening, and it was just kind of nice to be you know, with the guys unhooked a little bit, and we got up fish the next morning, and and I was going to prepare a message on Psalms 127. And so I got out my Bible mid-morning on Thursday. It was a beautiful day. I sat at a picnic table by the pond where we fish, and I was just going to say, I said, Lord, help me kind of bring this together here. And I opened my book to Psalms 127, and I'd read this psalm before, But in the position that I was in, just in the context of my immediate family as a young husband and father, and I read Psalm 127, verse 1. And God did something in my heart around family through this verse, of which I want to talk about today. Psalm 127, 1. And it said this, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain, who build it. It was clear to me as I was thinking about this scripture, as 
It's like there's labor involved in family relationships, in family dynamics. There's work to be done. There's responsibilities. And and those things are all there. But the psalmist said, unless there's room for God to partner with you in it and do His work in it, unless there's space for God in your perspective on family, unless you partner with God in your family... It's all in vain. All the work is in vain. And somehow over the period of the next two days on the fishing, I didn't get any message prepared. Matter of fact, I've never even spoken on Psalms 127, verse 1, in a a message. I've never done this before. But that verse settled in on me over that time. And it was like at that point in my life, God took a little sliver out of my heart concerning not just my immediate family, but my whole extended family, I said, look, Tim, if this is, you know, your responsibilities in it, but on the big picture, it's my responsibility. And that was such a relief. I started to call it for me in family, the God factor. Making room for God in your perspective on family. Our world is broken. It has been since we turned away from God in the Garden of Eden. Many years ago. Every part of our world has imperfections to it. And so every family has imperfections to it. We have all kinds of trauma in family. There's a room for a lot of joy. There's a room for a lot of uh, excitement and celebration in many families. But for many families, there's mostly a lot of pain and hurt. And I don't know if you were here last week, but Dave brought up a concept, and the concept was this. He said, there are two sides to the coin in family, and I have a little quarter here. He said, on one side, there's the ideal, and this is where we would have peace and harmony, and what we were seeing at the end of the video there, peace-filled, more fun, more joy in our families. This is what we long for in harmony in our relationships, in unity with others. And the family unit, whether it's immediate or extended, is the, is the first sort of small group fellowship support group God gave us. But it's broken. And what we long for, we really ultimately won't experience until heaven. So there's the ideal that God wired us to live with. And then on the other side of the coin, there's reality. There's the reality of what you and I experience in our families. Some people are blessed with really good families that don't have much pain and hurt. Others have an enormous amount of pain and hurt in their families. Let's think about the reality. It wasn't hard for me when I was thinking about this message to think through just the hurt and pain and challenges in my own family and pain and hurt that I've caused. When I was uh, in still in high school, junior high, I had a younger brother. And as an older brother, I I wasn't the nicest brother. I liked picking on him, teasing him a little bit. I don't know exactly why, but I did some things that I'm really not proud of, which when thankfully now we can look back and laugh at a little. I remember, you know, when I would coat the inside of his underwear with icy hot, and he didn't know it, and and that you know he didn't think that was funny then. I remember because I was stronger than him, I would tease him a lot, and then I'd pin him down. And just as a young boy, I'm not proud of it, it's almost hard for me to share, but I would dangle a little spit down towards his face and just taunt him that way. If, just don't do that, I'm not recommending that for any young boys here. I had to go back and apologize to my brother later in life 
when the Lord convicted me of that night, and I was wondering if it had hurt him or affected him. And it was clear to me when I brought it up to him that I'd caused him pain. And it's not just him. I remember I had a cousin that came from the city to visit a farm. And I was kind of an ornery young guy, and we would tease him a lot. I remember one time we put a rope around the belly of the biggest steer on our farm. And we told him, hey, we all rode it, why don't you? A little city slicker hops on that steer. I never seen a guy thrown so far up over the fence into the hay manger. Another time he visited, we took him up in the barn and we had a rope that was down the middle of the barn. We put him on the swing there. He didn't know that one end of the rope was tied to a pulley that you could pull the swing way up to the peak of the middle of the barn. So we pulled him up there on the swing, tied it off, and just left. He sat up there 20, 25 feet above the barn for about an hour. Scared silly. I remember when I brought it up to him a few years ago. I said, did that bother you? Tears. He was sitting there with his wife. My wife was there. And I said, on behalf of all of us, I just want to apologize. Because that affected his life. We didn't intend it to. But it hurt him. I can look back and see how I've hurt my children, each one of them. How I've hurt my wife. I look in our family. The reality of what is, that side of the coin. What we long for and what really exists in our world, in families. The reality in our family extended. We've had numerous divorces. We have relatives who won't talk to each other. There's lots of hurt and pain. We've even had close relatives, one of them, kill another one. That's just reality. And what Dave talked about is living in the tension of what is and what we wish were. Because that's where we have to live. Because we can't shut off the longings. But we have what is. Comedian Mike Warnke used to say, hey, you can pick your friends. But you're stuck with your family. I mean, they, they just you have what is. And so how do we live in that tension with what is if it's not really what we want it to be? And the Bible gives us many examples of individuals who do this. Some really well, some not so well. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament... For encouragement around family is the story of Joseph. Joseph is, many of us know the story, it's Genesis 37 through Genesis 50. Thirteen chapters in the first book of the Bible. Joseph is, uh, just for those of you who don't know, he's the favored son of a man named Jacob. He's got twelve sons. Joseph's the youngest one. Joseph has a dream when he's younger. And in the dream, all of his brothers are bowing down to him. And so he goes and tells his brother this. His brothers don't like him that much already because... He's kind of his dad's favorite, and so that angers him even more as he's telling them about them bowing down to him. And so one day they throw him into a pit, and some Egyptians come by, and they decide, well, let's make some money off him. So they sell him to the Egyptians, and Joseph goes off to Egypt with all kinds of pain in his heart, I would think. 
rejected by his brothers, thrown in a pit, taunted by him, I'm sure, sold by his own family. And then he lives in Egypt for however many years. And when you read through the story of Joseph, even though he has this hurt and this heartache about his family and his history, he works to be faithful to God. He works to trust God through the ups and downs of his life. He works to obey God. He has a relationship with God and he walks with God. And then many years later, after Joseph is in prison, he interprets another dream for the highest man in the land. He's brought before that man, and and then he's made second highest in the land of Egypt because he interprets that there's going to be seven years of famine, and, and there's going to be seven years to prepare for that. So Joseph's put in charge of preparing for that. And then we get two years into the famine, and Joseph's father, Jacob, in the in the faraway land, tells his brothers, Go to Egypt. We need food. Try to buy some food there. His brothers come. They come before Joseph. Joseph recognizes them, but he doesn't want to tell them who he is yet, so he sends them home. They come back on their second visit. You pick it up in Genesis chapter 45. You feel now the pain in Joseph's heart that he's carried through all these years, the tension that he's walked in with his family. They're before him. He hasn't told them who he is. And at this point, it says, the Bible says, Joseph could no longer control himself. Before all his attendants, he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. Feel the, feel the pain of family dysfunctional, broken, the reality of what is. All these years, Joseph wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. Pharaoh's house heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? His brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Now listen to this. How do you live in the tension of what is and what you wish were? Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been a famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be any plowing and reaping. Listen to him again. But God, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save lives by a great deliverance. So then, he says it one more time, it was not you who sent me here, But God. Sometime later, after Joseph cared for his father and his brothers for a number of years, his father passed away. And the brothers became nervous and they thought, now our father is dead. Genesis chapter 50. What if Joseph now holds a grudge against us for all the evils we've done to him in the past and he pays us back for what we've done wrong? So they went before him and they threw themselves down before him. They were asking for mercy. So we're your slaves. 
And Joseph said this. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. He said, am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. One of the most famous verses out of Joseph's life. You intended to harm me. But God intended this for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph is a great example for us of how to live in that tension of what is and what we wish were in our family. I know in our church family, there are going to be many people who have pain in their, in their you know, bloodline family, just as Joseph did. So I want to look at what Joseph, how he navigated this well. How do we live well in the tensions? First of all, with faith in God and his promises. If your family isn't working perfectly, God says, trust me. Lean into me. The book of Hebrews says, without faith, we can't please God. God wants to give us faith, and as He gives us faith to trust Him, that releases His power in our life, and He'll reward us for it. So if things aren't quite like you want them to be in family, trust me, God says. Trust in my promises. We have have the promises of God written there in His Word. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know, for those of us that are God's children who love Him, God is in all things, even in the turmoil of family, working for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. He's working for good. It may take many years, but He's doing, doing this, adjusting, bringing about good as He can. My wife um, married me. So she married into problems. Imperfection. And there have been times when when she's been very disappointed in what she's got. I am not near the romantic man that she would desire me to be. Just yesterday, we were away and I wasn't as engaged with her as she wanted me to be and it hurt her. And we were driving home an hour was quite quiet for some time. This has happened numerous times. She's got the reality. She's got what she wants. And praise the Lord, she's still trusting God when she's disappointed. Sometimes we have no other choice. I remember... When we were on vacation with some of our family members and we were with some the day before and they left and then one of the ones who left, we got a phone call. The next morning we were all at a coffee shop. The phone call came in and said, Did you hear? To my mother-in-law. We were all around the table. She said, Well, hear what? One of our close relatives had murdered the other one. Then what do you do? In that tension. 
you can do is throw yourself on the mercy of God and say, God, only you can do something with this. If you're here today and there's pain in your family and great tension, I think God comes to you and says, hey, no matter how bad it is, think of Joseph. Trust me. Trust in my promises. Lean into me. And then what is, you look at Joseph's life. How does he navigate all the tension, all the pain in his family? He has a relationship with God. He talks to God. He prays to God. He shares his heart. Prayer. Jesus said, not if you pray. He said, when you talk to God. Invite others into your family issues and pray with them. Ask others to pray. This week I was visiting with a father who was talking about this pain he was experiencing with his son and the tension he was having with his son and how his just tensions. And we talked for a while and then we were wrapping up the conversation and he said something. He said, I don't know what to do. I'm praying about it. My wife and I are praying about it. We're asking God for his wisdom. We're praying. And then he said this, the one thing I don't want to do is get in the way of what God is doing in my son's life. Because when we're experiencing tension and pain and famine, it's often the very tool that God is using to prepare us to meet him. And we have to keep in mind in the context of family that raising a good, peaceful, harmonious family is not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal in life is being prepared to meet Jesus at the end. And having all of our family members prepared to meet Jesus at the end. And so whether our Jesus even said, I didn't come to necessarily bring peace in the family. It's not his ultimate goal. He said, I even come to bring a sword to divide families against each other if that helps prepare them for eternity. So when there's tension in our families, we can see it as God using pain and hurt and heartache to draw us to himself. And then we ought to pray and say, God, use this time. Use my hurt, use my family members' hurt, use the pain in their lives to prepare them, shape them, and mold them to meet you. Because in the end, that's what we want our families in eternity with Him. And so we can release the power of God through prayer. Paul said we shouldn't be anxious about these things. Or, you know, wringing our hands or in turmoil about them, Philippians chapter 4. But we should pray about them. And lay them before the... Feet of God and say, God, do your work in this brokenness. And then what else do we see Joseph doing? Besides walking with God and crying out to God, we see him obeying God. I mean, you read through the story of Joseph, and time and time and time again, he made the decision to do what he was feeling led or the wisdom God gave him, to do what was honoring to him, to obey God. The Bible tells us to be clothed with compassion. 
book of Colossians, as God's children. And to be very patient. It can be hard to be patient in the context of family. really can. I've been walking with pains in my own family for several decades. I'm saying, God, can you still, can you keep working? Can you heal? And then Paul writes in Romans, he says this, As much as depends on you, As far as possible with you. He's saying, look, there's a responsibility each of us has. We can't make it work. We can't, as Joseph said, we can't play God. Am I in the place of God? But we can do our part before God. As much as depends on you, as far as possible, live at peace with everyone. Jesus said, if you're going to the altar and you remember your brother has something against you, then if before you get right with God, make an attempt to patch up with your family member. Joseph lived in these tensions like this. His family was imperfect, it was dysfunctional, just like every family that's ever been on the planet. But we see him in his life walking with God, trusting God, crying out to God, praying to God, and doing his part to keep his heart right towards his family members. And somehow, over the years, God painted a tapestry with his family of which no one could have guessed. And I believe he wants to do the same for each of us. This past week I got a phone call from a gentleman and he told me about something that had just happened in his family. And as I listened to the story, I said, boy, I wish our church family could hear that. So I said, would you mind putting it on video? He said, no. So he came in here and sat. I have a little story of a gentleman doing just what Joseph did in his family on a video here. Leave out the crying part, please. (laughs) I'm 61 years old. My brother is 73 and my sister is 77. My uh, father was probably the kindest, gentlest, nicest man that you'd ever know in your life. And... My perception was that my sister didn't treat him as he really deserved to be treated. So, as, and this went on over a period of time, uh, not just in his last years, but over a period of time. So, my feeling was there, she needed to treat him better, and I held, I held some pretty strong resentment against her because of her treatment of my father. I just made up my own mind, not wisely, but I made up my own mind that I was just going to distance myself from my sister. Um, I wasn't going to have anything else to do with her. 
Now this has been, uh, my father died in 1995. So whatever that's been, that's been 17, 18 years ago. And the first few years, it really didn't bother me that much. I didn't really think about it because I was still, the resentment was still fairly fresh. But I guess as I got older, um, the I started to think about it more. There was still something in my heart that wasn't right. It, I mean, I still, she's still my sister, regardless. I got a Christmas card and wrote on the card that hope they were well and I would welcome having a conversation with her if she wanted to talk to me and put my cell phone number there. So probably four or five days after I sent the card, it was the Saturday before Christmas at 8.05 in the morning. Um, the phone rang. I looked at the caller ID. It was from early Iowa. And it was my sister. And she said, Dan, this is your sister. And I said, Francis, how are you? And she said, I'm good. Um, now, I don't want to see you. I don't want to see you. But I'll talk to you on the phone. And I said, that's, that's great. That's, if that's what you want, that's fine. I have no problem with that whatsoever. So we had probably a 20 or 25 minute conversation. Uh, she told me about her grandchildren, her great grandchildren, which I don't know, never met, didn't really know all of them that, 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 that they had. It was a very nice conversation. My heart feels good. Thanks to the message that I heard, that I heard and whether it was the Holy Spirit or whatever you want to call it I really determined that it wasn't a her problem it's a me problem and I've satisfied the me problem and where it goes from here I have no idea I hope, I, I hope I'll see her and, and I think, I really truly think at some point we will. We'll carry on the phone conversations as long as she wants to. But I think it will be. I, I, we've started the reconciliation. I think it'll, I think it'll be fine from here. It's, it's just, it's, it's just a weight lifted off my heart, so to speak. I know that sounds cliche, but I don't know how else to really explain it. That's basically what it feels like. As I sat and listened to Dan over lunch, I was so encouraged by his willingness to do his part. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what, you know, there's no way. Only God knows all the dynamics of all of our families. There's so many relations. There's husband and wife. There's parent and children. There's grandparent. There's uncles 
extended family, there's adopted families. But we're asking God in this series to speak to each one of us about what's our role. And what is he saying to us now about what's our, what, what should we do now? And then we're asking people to, to write it down in a vision. And if you don't have one of these vision booklets, I, I would ask you to get one and, and read through the different visions that are represented here from different forms and shapes of families and be praying and saying, God, with my family, with the time I have left here on earth, what do you want me to do? I want to trust you with it. I want to pray for you to work in my family. And then I want to do my part. And I want to do it well. Can I encourage you to do that? Who knows what God can do in families if we make room for Him over time? Let's pray together. Dear God, we need your help. We ask for your help during this series on family and beyond with our families. Help us listen to your word and the whispers of how to do family better and do our part in the way you've called us to help us trust you. Help us keep a relationship with you and and share our burdens with each other and pray for each other that we could keep walking in this tension well. As we face the reality that many families come in different forms, help us to understand that You're for us. There's no condemnation for the situation of our family. There's no judgment for it, but there's there's grace for it. And that you want to pour out grace to us as we humble ourselves before you and seek your face. Specifically, help those who are single. Help them stay close to you and draw strength from you and listen to ways they can more fully serve the families in which they are a part. For those that are widowed, help them to be encouraged by your presence and by your people. Help them invest in the families, even when they're separated by many miles. For those of us living in families affected by divorce, first, second, third divorce, and children and that, help us sense your presence and bring healing, Lord, to these torn relationships in our church, healing to hearts. For those of us in the midst of the hard daily work of raising children, we need your help. Help us understand, as we talk about this morning, the God factor. And to partner with you, and you give us perseverance and strength. And help us find tools to do the job better and support. For single parents, give us extra energy, encouragement, and support. Father, many of our families find themselves in tough places. We ask for your grace your kindness, your mercy, to lead us to repentance, to seek your face. Lord, as you have so many times over the centuries, bring healing to our families. Help them honor you. May we be a community of faith that really lifts up family and encourage each other in it, no matter where we're at. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.